Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. I was at a conference a number of years ago, maybe 2011, in Houston, Texas, at a a church of about 10 or 12,000. It was called Sagemont Baptist Church, humongous church. And they were doing missions all over the world. And I was at a missions conference, uh, and I felt like a, a little fish in a big pond. I was sitting, it was called the Mega Missions Conference, and you had to be from a church that was a mega church. I wasn't uh, at a mega church, but I got invited somehow. That's only the grace of God. But I'm sitting around this table. And I asked the missions pastor of Sagemont, I said, how in the world do you do this much ministry all around the world? And his answer was legacy giving. I had no idea what that meant. But I learned. And we have the opportunity to start legacy giving, estate ministry. And it's not so that we can build a bigger building. It's so that we can plant seeds of the gospel in the kingdom in places that we might never go. Are you with me, church? That should excite you because it's not about us. We, we want the kingdom to expand and this is a way that we can do it. So if you don't have a seat at the table today yet, if you haven't signed up for a meal, but maybe you might be interested in it. We've got a few spots available, and I'd love for you to come and be there. Now, if you got your Bible, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 35, verse 4. Exodus 35, verse 4. Um, as we turn there, I just want to remind us what we're doing at this time. We're in this uh, series called Membership Matters. We're talking about what membership is and why it matters. We started out in week one talking about that, that church membership is something that's ordained by God. God doesn't just save us from something like sin and death and hell and punishment. He saves us into the family of God, into the body of Christ, into the church as beloved brides of Christ by His grace. Isn't that good news? He has done that, not for our sakes, but for His glory. The church is the way or one of the ways that his glory is seen around the world. Now, that doesn't always seem true, does it? We don't always live that out best, do we? But that's what he's done. And so we believe that membership is important. We believe that membership matters here at Seneca Baptist. And so we, we talk about there are five things that we as a church expect of members. Now, we know that there are a lot of expect, expectations upon the church, and we are thankful for those, and we want to uphold those to the best of our ability. But there are five things we expect of every church member. The five are, we expect people to come to church. Worship attendance, number one. And I, I know, I, I've, every week I've said this, in the middle of a pandemic, you expect people to come to church, and the answer is, yes, we want you to come to church. We believe that, that we want you to be safe. We want you uh, to, to um, 
make wise decisions. But we also say out there is that here in this building, there is a lot of space for you to spread out and worship together wisely, safely. We expect people to come to church. Number two, we expect people to be a part of Sunday school. Sunday school is this great ministry that does life on life. We get close together. Did you know that you can come in this church, you can sit in the same pew every week, and you can hide out. You don't have to really let people in. And we don't want you to hide out. It's not the way that God intended it of you. So we want to do life on life together. And that's where Sunday school is so necessary for us. We, the third, we believe that the Bible teaches that generosity matters. Generosity matters. And giving is not just so that pastors can drive nice cars or churches can build bigger buildings. No, giving is a tool of God by which he sets us free from the idolatry of money. It's for us. Also, God uses it in his kingdom. And so we believe in generosity. We expect that of every church member. Fourth, we expect every church member to serve. That's what we're talking about today in a big way. We'll hit on generosity a little bit, but also service in a big way. And last, we believe that every church member should affirm the Baptist faith and message. I'll talk about that next week, but that's just the world that we live in. Amos 3.3 says, How can two people walk together unless they first agree on a direction? So we've got to agree on the direction of God's Word, and that's where we have been. Now I want to read the passage for you. You've been sitting for a while. You might be getting tired already, so stand with me, and let's honor the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read Exodus 35, verse 4, all the way to Exodus 36, verse 7. So if you skipped your Bible reading time, we're going to make it up for you. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen, goat hair, tan rams skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and the fragrant incense. Verse 9, and onyx stones and stones for setting the, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Verse 10, let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle and its tent and its coverings, its hook and its frames, its bars, its pillars, its bases, the ark with the poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen. Verse 13, the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light and its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the door and the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings, the courts, its pillars and its bases and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy places, the holy garments for Aaron and the priests. The garments for his sons, for their service as priests. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose hearts had stirred him. And everyone whose spirit moved him. And brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting. And for all its service and for the holy garments. 
So they came, both men and women, all who were of willing heart, brought brooches, earrings, and signet rings, and armlets, and all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord, and every one who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or, or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. Verse 25, and every skillful woman spun with her hands and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and the, for the breastpiece. And spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. And all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, in carving wood, for work in every skilled craft. And he inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do the, every sort of work done by an engraver or a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Verse 1 of chapter 36. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart had stirred him up to come do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of the task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary, so the people were, were restrained from bringing. For the material that they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Let's pray. Father, we know this is of you. Because I've never heard a preacher tell people to stop giving. But in this passage, Lord, we want to hear from you. Through your word, by your spirit, speak to us. I can't do this without you. And any words that I give apart from your Holy Spirit are powerless to accomplish anything that you want. So Father, not just my mouth, but would you put words into my mouth. And, and for my brothers and sisters, would you give them ears to hear 
and eyes to see all that you intend for us today through your word. God, we love you and we thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Please be seated. All right, backstory, real fast. Backstory before I get in the passage. You said, Get into the passage. Yes, I know. It's, it, I'm going to get there, I promise. Backstory. Uh, the people of Israel had been freed from slavery in Egypt. Are you with me, church family? You remember that? There were plagues, and, and Moses said, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Anybody? Whoa, baby, let my people go. Thank you. Tom will be teaching classes, the uh classes later on, okay? Um, he, he said that to, the, to, to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh eventually, finally, because the blood was shed and his son was killed um, through the judgment of God, Pharaoh finally said, get out. God sent them out. God sent them toward the promised land by way of the Red Sea, and they're in the middle of the wilderness, and they have good days in the wilderness where they're trusting in the Lord, and they have bad days in the wilderness where they're disbelieving the Lord. And in the middle of the wilderness, God instructs them to build a sanctuary, a tabernacle there in the wilderness. And why? Why in the world, if they're sojourning, they're traveling through, they're carrying all their stuff, why would God say to his people Israel, make a tabernacle in the middle of the wilderness? I want you to look uh, on the screen. I think we have it in, we don't have it. Exodus 25, verse 8. Exodus 25, verse 8 says this. If you got your Bible, you can flip there. It says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So God says to the people of Israel, I want you to make me a sanctuary. I want a tabernacle, a tent of meeting, where there I will dwell in the middle of you. See, God commanded Moses to build a tabernacle in the wilderness that the people of Israel would carry it with them wherever they went. And all through the the book of Exodus, God reveals little by little what the purpose of the tabernacle was in 25 8, it's that I dwell in their midst. In 2516, it's that I'd be a place that kept the it would be a place that kept the writings of God. We talked about this a few weeks ago as we discussed the canon on Wednesday night. That they would keep the, all the writings, the holy writings of God inside the tabernacle. Chapter 25, verse 22 says it would be a place where God would meet with Moses. It would be a place where Israel would worship. It would be a place where Israel would offer sacrifices of praise and sacrifices for cleansing. It would be a place where Moses would meet with God and intercede for Israel. It would be a place where God could be known and worshipped and loved and sought for mercy. The tabernacle was for them, that generation, and it was for the generations to follow. That the generations to come might know and love and serve Yahweh, their great God. Are you with me, church? And so what we see in this passage is that just as God commanded them to build it, the next thing that God would do is provide for them all the materials needed and the ability to accomplish it. So here's what two themes that I want you to see in this passage is the theme of generosity and the theme of service. I want you to see generosity and service. The first thing that I want you to see, generosity, is in verse 5. 35, verse 5. It says, take from you 
among you a contribution to the Lord, whoever is of a generous heart. Down in verse 21 and 22, it says this, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting. Verse 22 continues, so they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets and all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. They're bringing things to the Lord. Verse 29 says, All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. So just imagine... Israel is coming forward with fine linen, with goat's hair, with tan ramskins, with acacia wood, fine wood, with gold and silver and bronze. Now, how many of you remember how long ago was it that Israel was set free out of Egypt where they were enslaved? Not very long. Where in the world, have you ever thought about this? Where in the world did they get all of that gold? Has that ever struck you? Where did this go? The, the, the oils and the, the, the expensive spices, where did it come from? Well, Exodus chapter 12 tells us in verse 35 and 36, it says, The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians." So on the way out, God gave such favor to Israel and such fear to the Egyptians that whatever the Israelites asked for, as they were being set free, the Egyptians gave it to them. Isn't that incredible? That just blows me away. Why in the world did God instruct them in Exodus chapter 12 to ask for stuff from the Egyptians? Because in Exodus chapter 35 there was a tabernacle to be built. Do you see? When God leads somebody and instructs somebody to do something, He will always provide for your obedience. Always. He will always provide. Understand this truth. He will provide everything necessary to accomplish the task He commanded. Wherever God guides, He provides... Whenever it's His will, whenever it's God's will, it's God's bill. I can tell you story after story of God asking me to do something and me going, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I can't afford to do this. And God would say, if you'll trust me and walk forward, I'll give you what you need to be obedient to my task. And so when God redeemed His people from Egypt, they came out wealthier than ever. And Israel left us an example to follow. I heard this quote this week at a conference that I was at with, with Nathan and Miss Jackie and, and a lot of other people on our board and people from all over the country. One man said, the world says get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on your can. Isn't, isn't that what we're taught, right? Get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on your can. Man, isn't that such a temptation for us? Can I just speak for me? Isn't that such a temptation for me? 
in this world where there's a lot of unknowns, aren't there? Have you ever watched the news? Don't do it. Don't do it. Turn off the news. But it, with all the news going on, I just want to store up. I'm like a chipmunk in the fall. I'm stashing acorns away, right? And then I go and sit in my holler and fend off for my acorns. It's such a temptation to store it up and save it up and sit on it because I don't know what the days ahead hold. Just me, huh? That's fine. I'll preach. I'll preach still. See, money can have such power over us. Can it? It can. That's why Jesus says, we looked at it last week, you can't serve two masters. No one can serve both God and money. See, the, the Israelites gave us an example to follow. Generosity is for our good. Generosity is a tool to set us free from the, the tyranny of money. One way, we heard this week, one way that you'll know that money has lost its power in your life is when you have the ability to give it away generously. Think about that. How do I know that money's not my master? Can you give it away? You, you either need to say amen or ouch. Man, I, I just am convicted by that. See, but Israel, they had different priorities. And they're good for us, for our instruction. See, Israel had a choice. They said, okay, God gave us brooches and armbands and earrings. Or I can give these things away that God might dwell in our midst. Israel, their, 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 their actions were instructive. They were stewarding the riches of the world so that the generations to come would know and love and serve God. I love this text because it, it wasn't Moses standing up and it wasn't a preacher standing up and saying, if you love Jesus, you're going to give money to Him. There was no guilt involved in it. Who instructed the people of Israel to give? The Spirit of God. It was God who instructed Israel to give. It says in the Scriptures that whenever or whoever, whoever's heart stirred him, whoever's, whoever was moved in his heart brought a contribution. They brought free will offerings. Christians sometimes say, well, we don't have guilt offerings anymore. Oh, we sure do. Some people will give because they feel guilty or they're made to feel guilty. And that's not what the New Testament teaches us. The New Testament does not teach us because you got to give or God won't bless you. you got to give or God will hate you. you got to give or God won't be pleased with you. That's not what the New Testament says. And the New Testament says it quite differently. And the New Testament says it like this. It says Jesus died on the cross to save you and to be pleased with you and to give you favor and to bless you. And because of what Jesus does, we have the opportunity to give. It's different. And they gave with a generous heart. There's, they did it willingly, not under compulsion, but cheerfully. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. See, they were traitors, not traitors. 
traders. They made a trade. They traded temporary trappings for eternal treasures. There was something physical that they gave so that they could gain something spiritual. And that's what they did in that day. They were investing their money in that which could not fail. Don't you think about it like this? I know that there are some crooked people inside the kingdom. But you, an investment in the kingdom will never turn void. It won't. It can't. Why? Because our king cannot fail. That should give us heart. It should. Second thing I want you to see is service. I want you to look down at chapter 35, verse 30 and following. It says three words. It says they were called... They were filled, and they were equipped. They were called, they were filled, and they were equipped. Now this is like unto salvation for us. Like unto salvation. That we are called, filled, and equipped. Look down at verse 30. It says, And Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. He has filled him. He has filled him. In verse 34, And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahasamach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill. Called, filled, and equipped. That's exactly what he has done for you and for me. Now, here's what I know. is I, I, I can't read your heart. I don't know where you stand on, on eternal things. I don't know where you stand on Jesus but if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, it's because God has called you by name. Isn't that good news? Isn't it good news that the King of kings and Lord of lords has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light? Isn't it good news that uh, once I was lost, but now God has found me? I was dead, but now He has raised me. He called me by name. Do you know that if you're a child of God, He knows your name? I need you to understand that this morning. None of you came to God because you were more righteous than the other one. All of us came to God because there was a working, a stirring in our hearts by which He called us to Himself. We came by sheer grace and grace alone. In the pit of despair, my name should not have been on the master's lips. But he called me out of that pit. And Psalms says that he set my feet upon a rock. And he put a new song in my mouth. Listen, church family, He calls His own. He calls us to Himself. Not only does He call us, but He fills us. He fills us. I need you to understand that the Holy Spirit is given to children of God. Children of God. The Spirit of God, in the people of God, accomplishes the will of God by the power of God. One of the downfalls in modern day church 
is that we have increased the importance of gifts and talents and skills and decreased the importance of the Holy Spirit. We can almost run this show off of skill, talent, and ability. And we have no need for the Holy Spirit to empower us or put fire in us to accomplish His purpose. We're using our talents at times apart from the enabling of the Holy Spirit. But that's not what we see in the text. What we see in the text is the filling of the Holy Spirit and then the enabling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to the people of Israel that the work of God might go on. Are you with me, church? We have become tools in God's workshop, but without the Master's power, we are useless on the bench. But when the Master wields us, when He picks up a tool, we then are empowered to do more than we could ever imagine. Imagine we are cold steel, lying still, unless the Master picks us up and uses us. Let me refer to the great theologian Bob the Builder. This is my world. Well, it was. We've passed Bob the Builder. But in the show Bob the Builder, anybody not familiar? Okay, all right, we got a couple people not familiar with Bob the Builder. We'll pray for you. No, I'm just kidding. It's a, kid, a children's show. But in Bob the Builder, the tools have personalities and Tools, are, they're able to speak and talk and move by themselves. But every time that the tools try to do something apart from Bob's leadership and guidance in hand, the tools always create a mess that Bob has to come back and clean up later on. That's kind of like us, isn't it, inside the church? We're tools with personalities and even a little bit of skill and ability and talent and power. But when we begin to work apart from the master's hand, guess what happens? We create a mess that God has to clean up. But if we be patient and, and, and ask God to fill us with his spirit, if we'd ask God to wield us that we're nothing apart from him, know that we can't accomplish a single thing glorifying to him apart from him, grabbing hold of us and using us, if we'd let Him use us, I wonder what God could do through us. One of the greatest dangers for each one of us is to try to accomplish God's will our way or without His power. Do you know it would be in vain? Psalm 127 says, they... Oh gosh... They labor in vain unless the Lord builds the house. Leonard Ravenhill, a guy I read regularly, he said, No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. The pulpit can be a, show, a shop window to display one's talents, but the prayer closet allows no showing off. Churches can sometimes become the America's Got Talent of the Christian world. Where we showcase our talents before men, 
rather than submit our talents to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, that He would enable them to accomplish far more than we could ever imagine. See, the will of God can never be accomplished by the power of man. That's why Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. But let's just be real. In a Baptist church, we don't like talking about the Holy Spirit. It's, it's weird. I, I, I say it regularly. He's like the, the, the uncle, the crazy uncle in our family that we all have, that we know he's there, but we don't like to acknowledge him. But the Bible from beginning to end is full of the Spirit of God. And any church that wants to be successful will also be full of the Spirit of God. And any Christian that wants to live a life that honors Christ will be full of the Spirit of God. So we don't like talking about Him. He's weird. But I need you to understand something. that The Holy Spirit filling a believer does not make that believer weird. It makes them useful. That's what the Spirit does in our life. It doesn't make us weird. It makes us useful. The Spirit did not give them these crazy things that somehow, sometimes in these days, the Spirit causes people to do. You might have watched Benny Hinn. Healed, and, they, and they're slain in the Spirit. I can't find that. But every time I see the Spirit move in somebody's life, I see that person do something for God's glory that they couldn't do without Him. See, the Holy Spirit, He, he puts our minds and our thoughts in order like a disassembled vehicle. The Holy Spirit puts pieces together. He connects the wheels to the axle, the axle to the drive shaft. Don't judge me if I say this wrong, okay? I'm not a mechanic, I'm a preacher. Okay? He puts cogs together. He makes the pistons begin to connect with each other. And then the Holy Spirit puts fire and power within the car to make it function as it should and run. See, the Christian is put in order by the Holy Spirit of God, the mind renewed, the will aligned to God, and then fire put within us, empowering the Christian to keep the will of God and to be useful in God's kingdom. How many of you say, God, that's not the life that I'm living. I feel empty. Christian, I just want you to know you have the opportunity to be filled with the Spirit of God. See, God's Holy Spirit has been given to you to make you useful for service in God's church. I need you to know I'm talking about service today. Service. We expect every church member to serve in some former function and to do so according to the enabling power of the Holy Spirit who fills them. See, the third thing he does, he calls them, he fills them, and he equips them. Over and over in the last part, it talks about how God, his Holy Spirit fills them, and he filled them with knowledge and ability and skill. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So he equips them. Now, let's, let's talk, real talk, for a minute. How many of you remember out on the elementary playground field that the worst time of the week was when they were choosing sides for kickball? Some of us have never lived those moments down. 
we're still holding grudges against the, the captains who chose us last. See, but that's not the way God works. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the what? Called. Now, I just need you to look at the history of the Bible with me real fast. Abraham was a feeble old man that God called to do incredible things, to be the father of nations. Jacob was a deceiver. Joseph was prideful. Moses was a stutterer. Rahab was a prostitute. Gideon needed more proof. Esther was a Jewish woman in a Gentile man's world. Samson had woman problems. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Jeremiah was too young. Mary was a poor teenage unwed mother. And the disciples were fishermen, rabbinical school dropouts, and tax collectors. And God used each one of them to shape history. He doesn't need you to be talented. He needs you to be available and willing. Fill me and you'll make me useful. He, and he does that for the good of the church. He did that in, the, in this passage for the good of the tabernacle and the people of God. And now he does that for the good of the church by the Spirit of God. He gives gifts to men and women. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, To each one has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You have a gift. And you are a tool on the Master's tool bench. And he's waiting to say, pick me, fill me, use me. And guess what? He uses those tools available. Where's God called you to serve? Where has God called you to serve? How will you fill that requirement in our church? How has God called you to serve? I mean, I, I, we, need, we need youth workers. We need people to work with a growing number of students at Seneca Baptist Church. And guess what? He doesn't have to ha call a, a staff person to do that. He needs a willing person and he'll fill you and use you. We need nursery workers. We need homebound people to love homebound members and nursing home outreach. We need greeters and security team workers. We need audiovisual aid. My brothers up here have worked so diligently, but they're doing it alone. They need a team. We need prayer warriors. We need Sunday school teachers. Why do we need Sunday school teachers? All of our Sunday school classes have teachers. Do you want God to grow us? I do. So let's get ready. We need people. Every person can serve. I can't do much. Well, God's got a place for you. Okay, last thing I want to say before I close is I need you to understand something about this passage that the tabernacle is pointing forward. It's a, a shadow of things to come. This is a theological theme all through the Old Testament and the New. All through the Jewish Bible and the New Testament. It's pointing forward. It's a shadow of something greater. The first thing that it's a shadow of is it's the tabernacle is a shadow of the temple in the promised land. See, remember, 
They're in the wilderness wandering for 40 years. But church family, was the wilderness Israel's home? No. There was a land that God had promised. He said it's flowing with milk and honey. And I've given it to you as an inheritance. We're headed there. But until we get there in the wilderness, you're going to build this until there's something more permanent that arises. It was a, a shadow of the temple in the promised land. It was a, it's a shadow of Jesus and the church. John chapter 1 verse 14 says this, And the Word became flesh and did what? Dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That word dwell is to literally encamp or to tent. It's the word, it's the Greek word for the Hebrew tabernacle. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. It's the presence of God in the midst of His people. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus came that we might see His glory. What happened in the tabernacle? The glory of God was seen in the tabernacle there in the wilderness. And then Jesus shows up. And what does the Bible reveal about the Messiah? That we would see in Him the glory of God. Why? Because He is God in the flesh dwelling among us. Jesus came that we might know and love and serve the same Yahweh that they serve in Exodus chapter 35. Jesus made a way for His people to worship Him. The tabernacle and the temple kept people, the common person, out of the presence of God. And at the death of Jesus, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom that through the death of Jesus, God's people were given away into the holy of holies, into the very presence of of God Almighty. Jesus made a way for us to worship. The veil is torn. God, there's so much I want to say about that. The third thing it's a shadow of is the heaven. It's a shadow of heaven in the new Jerusalem. We've got the temple in the promised land. We've got Jesus and the church and then, and then the heaven in the new Jerusalem. I want to read these passages for you. I want your minds to be left on the promised land. We're just sojourners here. And we've been given brooches and armlets and gold and silver and bronze pieces and fine twine linens and stuff. We've been given stuff, but I'm looking for a land. I don't belong here. Revelation 21, 1-3 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. There was a tabernacle in the wilderness. But there's no need for one in heaven.
Revelation 21, verse 22 and 23 says, And I saw no temple. I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So why do we give generously? Why do we serve ferociously? Why do we serve with such a tenacity or with diligence? We give generously and serve diligently on earth to prepare us for heaven. Giving reminds me of a treasure that will not fail. Serving reminds me that Jesus our Savior came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And, and that though He was humbled here, He will be exalted in heaven to the right hand of God. See, we give generously, we serve diligently to prepare us for heaven. We give generously, we serve diligently inside God's church in this time period so that the next generations might know and love and serve God Almighty. I want you to look around, church family. Look around at the generations. Five years ago, almost, I show up at Seneca Baptist Church. We had seven children, including my two. All of them, all of the seven children belong to staff members. Now look at the children in our services. We had Coakley and G sing on stage and lead us in worship. Did you see it? There are children and there are students, there are babies that we get to love on. And we don't want to just love them. We want to point them to the only one who gives them worth and value and meaning. And we give to do that. We serve to do that. And we invest in something that can't fail. I just know that I want to be a better steward. There's nobody in this room who's more convicted than me about how I steward the resources God has given me, and I just want to be a better steward by God's grace for His glory. I'm not asking for any commitments or promises. I just want my brothers and my sisters, my dear flock, to join me to be who God wants me to be and for, to be who God wants you to be. To give and serve in such a way that honor Him. Would you stand with me? This altar is open if you want to pray, if you want to use it, if you want to recommit something to the Lord, if you want to make a decision or just to pray, this altar is open for you. And let me tell you, if you want to meet Jesus as your Savior and Lord today, I want you to know that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the promised one. And He died on the cross to pave a way for you to go to heaven and to be with God. Not just then, but now. He brings heaven to earth and makes a way that we might know Him and love Him now. And if you don't know Him, don't leave without Him.
Would you bow with me? Oh God, we need you. Our hearts are stirred. Your spirit is here. We need you. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste your resources. I don't want to do that. I also don't want to be an empty, cold piece of steel on the master's workbench. I want to be held in the master's hand and used for his glory. Father, we love you. Speak and move in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Lead us, brother.